partir n'importe où. Bras dessus, bras dessous. En chantant des chansons. C'est si bon. De se dire des mots doux. Des petits rien du tout. Hello and welcome to Pardon My French. I am Ingrid Delamarcani and I am your host. I hope you enjoyed this little French interlude, which is just a reminder of my cortisol, low cortisol morning coffee Instagram stories. Today we're going to be talking some more about French etiquette. I call the episode Go French Yourself. Bitch, move over, I have the French eyes. And I'm going to be a little bit bitchy because that's what I do. That's oh so French of me as well. You will find out soon. So I know how much you all love the first episode that was called Go French Yourself um, and how much it has helped you to intuitively have a better relationship with food and enjoy the process of eating rather than feeling negatively about it. Um, and I love that it has, it has had that effect on all of you. I love receiving your videos saying I'm being so French today. I set up my table beautifully. I'm listening to music. I love it. It makes me so happy. Also, it's come to my attention that, you know, as a content creator, my shit gets stolen all the time. Now, they are very particular things that I talk about when I talk about French etiquette and the way that I make the correlation with your health and your waistline is very unique. So, you know, unbeknownst to me, um, websites like Goop, uh, actually blogs like Goop, go around and steal content. So someone sent me an article where Brigitte Bardot um, was on you know, on the article and that was really weird because I wrote a newsletter last year with Brigitte Bardot on the cover of my newsletter and they kind of stole all of my etiquette um, advice and turned it exactly the same way that I did and even were saying, you know, etiquette, uh, French etiquette can help you with your gut health and your waistline. That was so fucking shitty. And then I was talking to Lauren from The Skinny Confidential and some other great and greater content creator than I will ever be, um, as notorious as Lauren. And they all said, yeah, Goop goes around and, and steals your shit. And then, of course, my copy cow, you know, um, the way that she knows how to do, last week literally copied and pasted a bunch of my... I want to see my microblogs that I wrote on, on Instagram when I traveled this summer. I was in Saint-Tropez a lot and I was so uh, inspired being in Saint-Tropez for 10 days. Um, it's not far from Monaco, it's just an hour and a half away and we went by boat. We, we kind of stayed there at, we had, at a hotel. We really lived the Saint-Tropez of you know, the 1955 era. I went to Club 55, like Brigitte Bardwell and Delon. I was so inspired and I microblogged on my Instagram posting pictures and she literally went and copied and pasted everything that I wrote about French etiquette, which was really funny because she fucking said that you shouldn't eat with your mouth full because it's gross. 
And I know that I said that in the previous Go French Yourself episode that I had done in January on Pardon My French. And that's really funny because when this fucking cow, and the reason why I called her a cow is because she chews like a cow. That's, you know, so I said I wouldn't give into the drama anymore, but it had to be called out. Like, what the fuck? You actually go and steal all my shit, say to not eat with your mouth full, and then we have to go on your stories and your life stories and watch you fucking chew in our face with the screen inside your tonsils. And I have to see like your salad dressing literally pouring out of your mouth and leaking out of your mouth as you're talking. And then you dare literally copy and paste my microblog about how French etiquette can make you healthy and say, oh, take your time to eat and sit at the table and, you know, socialize with people. Like, bitch, stop. This is my shit and everyone knows it because you certainly don't behave as you just wrote. Well, actually, as I just wrote. Sorry about that. So, you know, if you're gonna chew and talk at the same time, please stay away from my microblogs and stop stealing my fucking shit. Is that French enough for you? Okay, done with my rant. I know that you guys didn't come on for that. I wanted to talk a little bit about the cultural faux pas and that can save you a little bit of embarrassment when you come to France, even though I don't think you should be embarrassed for your culture. You're different, we're different. Um, but these faux pas, what is considered faux pas, like American faux pas in France, can actually help you so much with your relationship with food. And I've seen it even with myself, because living in the States for so long, I gave in myself to some of that stuff. Like I also took my coffee to go uh, when I lived in New York and I was walking around with the fashionable, you know, Starbucks mug and running to one appointment to the other and, you know, so I am guilty of that. I have been guilty of that too. And then moving here seven years ago, I realized that this is not the way to go. And that's definitely why we gain weight. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about those faux pas. Um, we don't do food to go. Literally, when you say to go, which is called à emporter, means to take away. And taking away in French absolutely does not mean that you're going to bring it back to your office and eat at your desk or that you're going to eat it while you're walking. My mom always said chewing and talking at the same time is way up there on the list of faux pas as chewing and walking at the same time. And I think it's so important to realize that because very often you will take your food to go and before you even reach the bench at the park, you will have eaten half your sandwich. I've seen people in New York walk around with their plastic salad bowl and fork in hand or spork and eat their salad as they walk. That's fucking disgusting, one. Two, that is so unhealthy and so cortisol rising. Chances are that salad can make you fatter than a hamburger would if you were to sit and eat that hamburger with a fork and knife. Not that I would eat my hamburger with a fork and knife, but I have on occasions when I wanted to be mindful. Um, so you need to know that we seldom consider eating and walking at the same time. I've never done it. I will never do it. It is regarded as extremely rude in France. Um, we don't like the idea of eating our food while doing something else to start with. 
So not just walking, but sitting at your computer and eating at the same time is extremely rude in France. And I completely advise against it on a health standpoint. Again, this is something that's bad for your health. It's bad for your cortisol levels. It's also bad for your digestion because your posture and your postural alignment while eating has a lot to do with how you're going to digest your food and what kind of position you're putting your digestive tract through. Like your position, if you're hunched over your computer as you're eating, or you're sitting at a low table in your office or on the couch, if you have a couch on your office, in your office, for example, you're not doing your digestion any favors because you're hunched over and you're not giving a straight line to your digestive tract to digest your food. You're putting it through so many zigzags and obstructions and obstacles and that rises cortisol levels. And to remind you, rising cortisol levels will cause insulin resistance and insulin resistance happens mostly while you eat it's the way that you're going to store your fat or you're going to burn it for fuel so when you resist insulin you actually store it and that's how you get that midsection fat and stubborn weight gain around your midsection so very often if you're a salad eater but you're eating at your desk or hunched over at a low table or at a coffee table, chances are this is why you have the midsection stubborn fat going on there. If that is you, if you answered yes to this, that may be why. We do not think of eating as a mindless refueling experiment. Um, we don't, you know, refuel and do other mundane tasks such as wor work or walk down the street or even driving. You will never see a French person eating and driving at the same time. To go food à emporter is taken away from a restaurant or a cafe to be consumed while eating on a park bench or at home. You will never have someone take it to go to eat it in their car or bring it back to the office. Um, bringing food and beverages in it inside any kind of business establishment is rude. So you will not go into an administration building or a bank or you know a big corporate building with where lawyers would be or architects and see people coming in and out with food bags. You will not see food deliveries to an office in France. And that's brilliant because that fucks up with your endocrine system because everything you eat out of is going to be plastic and endocrine disrupting materials. And that fucks up with your cortisol levels. Eating at your desk is unhealthy. Not getting out of your office building is unhealthy. I always say it when people go, we don't have the luxury like the French to eat for two hours at lunch. I say, you may not have that luxury, but you have a right to a lunch break. Everyone does. Teachers, children at school, um, housekeepers, everyone has the right to a lunch break. Bankers. That's a choice that you make. Saying you don't have time to eat, actually saying you don't have time, period, is a choice. Lauren often posts about that. I don't remember where she read it, but I could not agree more with that. So one thing French people never say they don't have time for is eating. It is part of their mechanism. It is part of their programming like robots. So you may not like the idea of a robot, but if you think you're an overachiever by staying in your office and that you're less lazy than a French person, chances are you're a fucking idiot. French people make as much money as Americans, but they have a better life. 
So think, who's smarter? And who is more productive? Actually, taking time for lunch in France, in France has been proven to be more productive professionally. And there have been surveys and research about that. I've spoken about this, I've touched this before, very very important point and that's something that my mom was so adamant about and when we see people today eating without their knife or putting their knife down uh, throughout their eating process we're like oh my gosh this is so fucking American and I have people in my family that are American and do that and we kind of just stare at them during dinner going oh my god they literally not use the knife like you could literally put the knife back in the, in the cabinet um, after they're done with dinner because they never use their knives. That's so rude in France. Don't forget to use your knife while eating. And very often you want to be holding your knife even if you don't need it. That will help you keep your posture straight. Chances are if you feel like you could just use your fork for certain loose foods and you don't need your knife, you're going to put the knife down and you're going to end up putting your forearm on your leg, which is so rude. But that's also going to disrupt your digestion because automatically you will not sit straight. So giving your spinal alignments balance by keeping the fork in your right hand and the knife in your left, even when you don't necessarily need your knife, will help you sit at the tip, at the edge of your seat in spinal alignment really straight. And that will so aid your digestion and you will look so chic. And also that is such... Um, a position that demands a little bit of concentration that you will have to focus a little more of, on the process of eating and perhaps um, jab at food a little less and gobble down food a little less because this process is stringent. It's not easy to sit straight, sit at the tip of your chair, the edge of your chair and hold your knife and your fork the whole time. Americans very often are so comfortable in the way that they eat. They're sitting so comfortably and a little bit hunchback with one forearm on their leg and the fork in the other, the fork in the other, in the other hand that is so comfortable that they actually put no effort into the process of eating politely. And so they just keep on stabbing their food and eating it and grabbing their food and eating it. So think about it, if you make the process a little bit more ceremonial and a little bit more um, about your posture by holding your knife, it becomes a little bit more work and so you, you will eat slower and you probably will eat less. That's a great thing um, as far as portion control coming from etiquette. Um, you have to know that you, know, you need to keep your fork uh, and your knife at all time. At all time and we realize that Americans have a tendency to eat either with your hands or to use their your fork to cut and pick up the food and that is such a faux pas um, in France it is considered really poor table manners um, to eat without your knife so the knife is held throughout the dinner in the right hand and it is used exclusively as a cutting tool or to load loose food onto the fork, so to slide kind of loose food onto your fork. The fork is in the left hand and it is not used um, to cut food, stir it or chase it around the plate. And it's not used to fully load it by jabbing as much food as possible um, on, on it with repeated stabbings. You, it, this is so rude and this is so gluten-like, like you, you don't want to look like, look like a gluten, someone that just wants to jab food and stuff their face. So 
you know, think about that and it will definitely help so much. Um, I, I had to really fight with my kids about this because in the States, even when they used to go to the school cafeteria, very often no one was using a knife. They weren't even given a knife. So I had to fight with them and teach it to them. And now they both know, like, you know, forearms on the table, never put your elbows on the table, sit straight, don't sit all the way in your seat. Don't, you know, lay your back against the, you know, the, the, the backrest of your seat. Um, you want to sit at the edge of your seat, standing straight, you know, fork and knife in hands at all time. Um, I know it seems very ceremonial and a little bit difficult, but it works. Sounds. Sounds and noises in France are a big deal. And I have to say, I am so French like that. I hate when people speak loud. And I do found that very noisy places rise my cortisol level and wake up my ghrelin hormone. So the ghrelin hormone is your hunger hormone and it is triggered by so many sensory signals. Noise is one of them. So when you go into a really noisy place or you're in a quiet place, but there are noisy children or no, a noisy conversation next to you or someone consistently laughs in a way that may irritate you as you're trying to have a quiet lunch or dinner, that will rise your cortisol levels and you will be hungrier. It will trigger your ghrelin hormone, which is your hunger hormone. So very often, for example, in New York, we would go to brunch in Bagatelle or in, S in um, MPD. I don't know if that still exists there. Um, but the, 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 the music, you know, everybody's starting with a Bellini at like 11 a.m. It's brunch. The music's so loud. People are getting louder and louder. They're already shutting all the windows and putting those dark curtains because they want you to order bottles of champagne, you know, when it's bright daylight outside. That will usually make me crave their french fries and their eggs benedict and anything that has like cream and ketchup. That's the noise triggering the ghrelin hormone. So in France, it is sacred, sacred to have silence. Actually, silence in France is not a luxury, it's a necessity. Even in the metro, the subway, in public places, it's really quiet which means that being loud will get you dirty looks from locals and draw attention to the fact that you're definitely a foreigner if you're loud. And you'll probably also be a possible target for pickpockets because they'll know you're a foreigner because you're loud. Um, it's, so the metro, for example, in Paris, even in Nice, is dead silent. Everyone minds their own business or whispers when in group. And the same goes in restaurants you will often hear people shushing other people's kids, which in the States would be so rude and a parent will be like, don't shush my kids. But technically, you're supposed to shush your own kids. So loud voices are very unclassy. And I find that it is so helpful to keeping the ghrelin hormone under control and preventing your cortisol level from targeting the ghrelin hormone, from making you want more food. Noise and noisy environments will make you hungrier and usually they make you hungry for carb-rich food. They don't make you hungry for, you know, healthy nutritional food. They're not going to make you hungry for string beans. They're going to make you hungry for stuff you're not necessarily needing to eat on a nutritional healthy level. I hope that makes sense. 
sometimes I wonder if I make sense. Sometimes I want to listen to the podcast again to hear if I make sense. But instead, I ask my friend Elena to listen to it and tell me if I made sense because I just cringe at some of the shit that I say or what I could have said and didn't say or what the fuck did I say? So yeah, Elena is my proof listener, not reader. You listening, Elena? So you know, silence in France is golden. And in my house, it's a really big deal. My kids have always been super quiet. I've always shushed them. I let them play and they had a space to do that. But I hate noise. And I tend to really dislike noisy people or people with very loud noises or the need to exist through speaking loud or laughing, laughing loud. I'll be one of those French assholes that will turn around and give you a stare down if you're super loud in a nice restaurant. That will be me. So when, uh, for example, also one thing that's very different in France is that when someone speaks, we tend to listen passively. We don't aggress them. We don't cut them off. We might give the occasional nod, um, but we're not going to ask many questions. You know, what you would call active listening before the story is over. French people tend to be less enthusiastic than Americans, for example. Um, so they will not be like, hi, how are you? Which I love. A lot of my friends do it, but it, you know, they'll be less enthusiastic. Like they'll be like, oh, bonjour, uh, comment ça va? C'est tellement sympa de vous voir. It's such a pleasure to see you. Even though you're extremely excited, um, you will say it's so pleasant to see you. Uh, and the translation will be, oh my fucking God, I'm so happy to see you. So you see that's like such cultural differences. But believe it or not, this is such an incredible difference on your cortisol levels. Even for the American that's always outspoken, dramatic, extravagant in the way that they express their feeling of happiness at seeing you or at greeting you, the French person is obviously being skinnier because they show less enthusiasm. For example, the French will say, how do you like my shoes? Oh, elles sont pas mal. Pas mal. Not bad. Not bad actually is a high praise in France. Can you imagine? We don't talk to strangers. Uh, if we don't have a good reason to strike up a conversation, we just don't. We don't speak for no reason. Um, you can start a conversation and see how it goes. It can be fun. But if you get the cold shoulder, don't get offended. French people are not as enthusiastic. And I see that they do it as a sort of preservation of their peace. And I kind of like that. So if you can try, I'm not telling you to be as fucking cold as a French person because I find them so rude and cold sometimes. But see it as preserving your peace. Preserve your cortisol levels. If you don't have to be so enthusiastic about something, or if you don't have to speak to someone and give it your energy, staying chic and quiet can be actually very beneficial to your health and your waistline. Does that make sense? Um, I hope it does. So in France, food is sacred. La nourriture. La nourriture, the word food in France, says the nutrition. Nourriture comes from nourri, comes from nourishing. So we actually call food nourishment in France, like eat your food, mange ta nourriture, eat your nourishment. 
Can you imagine how right off the bat the re our relationship with food is so different than in the United States just from the way we call it? Yesterday I was interviewed by Shrazi, who's Shannon. Shannon came on my podcast. She's the actress that came as one of my real life heroes that started to just follow my tips on Instagram and change your, her outlook on eating and her relationship with food, even though she is under the extreme pressure of being in the entertainment business, she's an actress. Um, so she was in Monaco yesterday and she invited me to be a guest on her blog. And so we recorded a, you know, an interview that I think she'll end up putting on YouTube somehow. Um, we can get the right to the image. She wanted to videotape it, but in Monaco, it's kind of complicated. You need, to, need, you need a license. But she was saying to me, what, what happens when you're under extreme pressure? What, what food do you binge on? And I thought that was such an interesting concept because I'm so French in my relationship with food that when I'm quite unhappy, I don't want any food. I'm like the complete opposite. So she was going, you're so lucky. You should be stressed all the time. Well, actually, no. My relationship with food is such that food for me is all about celebrating life, nourishing myself and making myself happy. Food is a happy moment that when I'm unhappy, unlike many Americans that tell me that they eat emotionally and when they're unhappy, they eat a lot. So technically, I associate food with happiness and great moments and memories and, you know, a ceremonious social time with my family that when I'm unhappy, I will not eat or I will not eat as much. Whereas Americans, she was saying, will binge on food because their association with food is such a negative connotation that when you're not doing well, you might as well fuck yourself up with food. Do you see the difference? It's really a question of how your relationship is with food to start with. So maybe change the name that you have for food. Maybe start calling it nourishment, nourriture, like the French do. We don't have a, a word like food in French. F-O-O-D. We have no word that equals food in French. We don't have a short word for food. Food is called nourriture or manger. So eat, coming from the, the verb eat, eating, manger, le manger, but most of the time you call it la nourriture, which is the nourishment. Maybe that's where you need to start. Maybe they need to look at food differently so that when you're unhappy, you won't look at food as a way of, I guess, continuing in this downward spiral of unhappiness. Associate food with happiness instead. So in France, um, you know, either you bought your food or it's, you cooked it for yourself, but we respect food and we enjoy the experience. We take the time to have three meals a day at regular times. We try not to leave food on our table, even though my mom always said it's very classy to leave the last bite on the table, on, on the plate. Um, she says that it shows to the host that you are satiated and very satisfied with how much they've cooked for you, which is another thing that's really funny and that Shannon was pointing out yesterday during our interview, which is true also for Jewish moms. She was saying that um, her husband is Persian and for Persians, as much as it is for Moroccan and Moroccan Jews like my family, uh, but I was raised more French because my mom is very French. Um, but for Persians or Moroccans or very often Americans, leaving food in your plate 
or not asking for seconds may mean that you're rude and that you don't you didn't like the food um, in France the chic way is to never ask for seconds. This is why we also have the salad not as the first course, but as the last course. The salad is kind of like the thing that's going to plug it in. Like it's going to, you know, um, take away that need to go for seconds. And very often you absorb your nutrients in the salad and the minerals much better if you have it after your main course. They also say that the fibrous, not just the fiber, but the fibrous um, texture of salads, like the ligaments that are in the salad, like all that, you know, salady, salady texture kind of sponges out everything you just ate and ha helps with digestion. So the French have their salad after the main course, not as a first course. I hate when people say to fill up on salad first so you could disrespect the host and eat less of the main course. The main course is the main, this is your main source of nutrients. Salad is not food. If I wanted to eat salad as my meal, I would be a fucking cow and that's what I would chew all day. But I'm not a cow, I'm chic and I'm French and so are you. Um, I get carried away. So we'd rather have small portions than waste what's in our plate also. So when I'm saying to leave a little bit in your plate, I'm saying to leave just as a representative, symbolic way of saying that you're satiated and you're not licking your plate until it's clean. You leave just a bite on your plate. It's more of a symbolic thing and don't sh Yes, so don't you dare tell me, oh, but there are children starving in Ethiopia. It's not that tiny little piece that you didn't put in your mouth and left is your, in your plate as a symbolic, chic um, aspect of your eating process that's going to make a difference anyways whether you eat it and shit it or leave it in your plate it's exactly the same um yeah that was graphic sorry not sorry do not take your coffee to go this does not exist in france you don't see french people walking around with their coffee it's not chic um, when I have my gangster chic fuel, fuel tumbler and I take it to the studio with me, I usually hide it in my bag as I'm walking from my car to the studio so that the valet parking or the people around me don't see me carrying it around and say, oh my God, she's so fucking American. Um, chewing and walking at the same time, drinking, walking at the same time, um, don't go together. Everything in France that has to do with absorbing food or drinks um, it's ceremonial, it's a pleasant process, it's something you take time for and you sit down for. Um, so yeah, Americans always want their coffee to go. Um, New Yorkers want it black, for example. When you are in the south of France, that is unlikely to happen. They will not serve you your sock juice. If you ask for an American coffee, they will give you an espresso with a little bit of hot boiling water um, in a little um, pouring thing and you can make your own sock juice on your own. That's what they call it, sock juice. So instant coffee does not exist. It is called sock juice as well. Um, that's why I always say if you want to make your gangster chic coffee, go for the real thing. Have an espresso machine. It's not about having an expensive one. You can have a very affordable one, but make real coffee. 
um, for French people, coffee is very sacred. Having pure coffee is sacred. And they do believe that it does boost your metabolism and helps you with bowel movement. And I believe the same. I learned it from the professional athletes I work with. Um, I speak about it extensively on the article that I wrote about intermittent fasting and I am going to put the link in the show notes. There's also an episode um, that I did in the early days of Pardon My French that was all about intermittent fasting. So you want to go find that one and listen to it and I speak about that so, so much. Um, it is very important that you also never ask for your glass of wine to be filled up to the top. That is so unchic and classless um, it should be filled up a little bit less than half so you know don't be so American don't be so greedy don't be into quantity versus quality um, Americans really have a way of wearing their nationality on their sleeves they always want more um, and that's why the French are usually very judgmental of them and can spot them um, in a heartbeat. I know it's a question of culture and I feel entitled to speak about it this way because I am half American and I have sometimes forgotten where I come from and what my mom's taught me and realized that it was infuriating her and that I was not being chic and I've definitely gone back to everything she's taught me and the French way that she's educated me for this reason and I realized that it benefited my health and my waistline for sure. I do see the difference. Um, I'll give you an example. Americans drink an excessive amount of water. They believe that you have to drink. They, they even did this water challenge. I talk about it all the time. That is so utterly ridiculous. A French person is more likely to not drink as much while they eat and eat a little more once they put their fork and knife down for good. Um, and put them parallel to the right-hand side, like at three o'clock on their plate to signal that they are done with their meal. Gilles is actually British, so he does it the British way. He puts it at six o'clock um, to let us know that he's done with his meal. Um, but yeah, once a French person is done eating, that's when they will drink water and we find that gallon challenge or water challenge utterly, utterly ridiculous. Actually, very often in Paris or in big cities, even in Monaco, um, the, French are, the French are making fun of Americans as far as being notorious for overhydrating and having a water bottle like a handbag as a dead giveaway that they come from the USA. Um, they're compulsively requesting water refills and they pretty much blame any maladies on inadequate water intake. I believe completely the other way. It's not chic to drink so much and bloat yourself to death. Um, the idea that it's that simple, that drinking will eliminate um, all your eating indulgences or you know exfoliate you out of your fat is so stupid um, and it is cortisol rising you're overwhelming your kidneys very often people will drink way more than what their kidneys can handle um, and by doing so you're rising your cortisol levels which will create midsection 
inflation and inflammation and bloat and insulin resistance. So very often when you're drinking so much and these people like, oh yeah, I drink so much water. I'm like, but you don't look healthy. You look like you need to lose weight. So maybe stop drinking so much water. Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. And I've said that so often. So that water challenge is stupid. It's disgusting for your organs to be literally drunk out of their mind and sinking in water and overwhelmed. Um, the French way to look at things is that for every 30 kilo that you weigh, you should drink a liter. So if, for example, you weigh something like 110 pounds, which is something like 55 kilos, then you should be drinking maybe a, a, a liter and a half of water. And there you are doing this water challenge, trying to drink five liters and you're overwhelming your body. The Talmud, which is the ancient Jewish wisdom book that I shared so many passages from, has a lot of, and I've mentioned it in another podcast, has a lot of, um, has a lot of health tips and has a lot of wisdom about health and, you know, diet choices and things like that and nutrition. It says that you should fill up your body one-third of your stomach with food, one-third with water, and you should always leave the other third empty. And I truly believe that that is the gateway to health. Now, the Talmud's ancient wisdom has so much wisdom when it comes to health that makes sense today and that is still applied and applicable in the medical field. Um, so, yeah, something to keep in mind. It's funny because Americans also look at French people like they consume so much wine with frequency um, and extraordinarily rich desserts and gluten-heavy pastries. Um, and they judge French people for their midday alcohol intake. Yeah, it's standard for us to go to lunch and have a glass of wine, even though we would go back to school, to work, not to school, obviously. Um, and Americans will judge that and go, no, 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 we don't drink at lunch because we have work afterwards. So the Americans would seem like the ones that are more mitigated and measured when it comes to drinking alcohol. But it's really funny because they tend to starve themselves until they binge. And the same goes with, yeah, just one drink in France, which is something that we easily do. I'll have just a glass of wine. And it's a mantra that is not popular in the States. Americans will start drinking at happy hour. They won't do it midday because they have all of this incentive to go back to work and you don't drink during daytime like the French do. But then they won't stop drinking until they go to bed. Um, so they refuse to drink until sun goes down. But when they start, they start the drinks go back to back. French person finds satisfaction in the fact that they don't have such rules and they'll have a glass of wine at lunch and then in the evening for dinner, they'll say, you know what, I've already had a glass of wine for lunch. I'll just have another one tonight. And that will be their alcohol intake for the day. So even though the American would look like the one that is most serious about not drinking too much alcohol, there's a binging 
aspect and effect to this constant living by a rule that the French don't have. So Americans start drinking midday, they won't stop again until they go to bed, for example. The French will do it at lunch, go back to work unscathed because what's a, you know, what's a glass of wine going to do to you? And then they'll have this sense of satisfaction and already been there, done that by the time dinner comes. And most of the time, they won't even start drinking the glass of wine until the main course is served. Whereas an American, if you put the wine in the glass in front of them, before they even get their main course in front of them, half the glass or the whole glass will be gone and they'll be going for a second one. So the whole aspect of etiquette and waiting and thinking of the synergy of the delicious wine with the taste of the food, you know, thinking of your taste buds and the experience, this whole thing can actually call for an intuitive moderation, which I absolutely love. Um, another thing that's really interesting is that when we go to the restaurant as French people, very often we know what we like, we will open the menu and go straight to the section of food we like. Like I know that I will go straight for artichoke if I see an artichoke salad and I know exactly what I need to be eating or you know a filet of sole, I'll gravitate towards that. I will make my decision really quickly because I love what I love and I know what my body needs. So I know I need to gravitate towards you know the, the string beans if that's the vegetable of the moment. I'll have a very easy time making my decision. Whereas Americans, we were told by some um, waiters in France that they're known for their like being so indecisive. And they tend to read food and wine menus cover to cover and debate with each other about what they're going to eat. Food and picking food for American is torture. Whereas for the French, it's so nonchalant and so natural. We know exactly what we want. We don't take forever to decide. That's why very often when you come to France as an American, you're like, well, you know, what the fuck is the rush with this waiter? Why does he keep on coming? That's because he's so used to getting orders from French people who will sit down, scan the menu and know exactly what they want to be eating. They don't have a tough decision-making situation because they don't have a tough relationship with food, which I think is fantastic. Americans are always in a rush. The French are not. That's where the cortisol level aspect comes in. You know, it's, it's crazy. Um, Americans are always on the go. They resist so much when I tell them that we take two hours for lunch. They resist so much when I tell them that, you know, dinner will take an hour and a half and we'll be speaking to the kids for about an hour and a half during that dinner. Uh, they'll be like, yeah, but I got to get on my computer. I have emails to answer after dinner. The kids have homework. But we don't give a fuck here in France. We just don't give a fuck. Dinner comes first. Having time with the kids, speaking to the people that we are having dinner or lunch with is actually the priority. Human skills and the ceremony of eating is the priority over everything else and every other engagement of life. And I think that's fantastic because your health comes first. Your health comes before the homework. Your health comes before that email you need to answer. Surely you will get to it. And yeah, I guess health comes first. Looking at it that way and starting to call your food nourishment as opposed to food could be the way to go.
food for thought. So just a few last bits of advice, if you will. Um, eating salad after your main course. There are so many aspects to doing that. And I say the same about having pasta. So let me explain. I love pasta. If I go out to the restaurant, I will want a pasta dish. However, I understand that the nutritional value of pasta does nothing for my gut. It does nothing for me nutritionally. And this is the reason why very often when you eat pasta, three hours later, you'll be hungry or you'll want something sweet because the gut doesn't recognize it as a full-fledged nutritional meal and for good reason. However, it is something we enjoy. And you have to, to understand that the endorphins, the enjoyment that you get from eating pasta is something that we don't want to amputate out of your life. So what do I do? I use pasta as an appetizer and usually appetizer in France will mean a small plate. So it's the size of a dessert plate. I will satisfy that need and pleasure, that want for the pleasure of eating pasta, having it as an appetizer. But knowing that my main course, and so this is where my decision-making when the menu comes, comes into play. My main course is going to have the nutrients that I need to be healthy and feed my gut. In, in other words, I don't want my gut to rebel against me and wake up my ghrelin hormone and attack my leptin hormone, which is my saturation hormone. I want to rub my saturation hormone, my leptin hormone the right way. So what do I do? I'm like, indulge me, let me have my pasta. I know it has no nutritional value, but let me have it. And my main course is going to have my fiber and my protein, my minerals. And so that's what I do. Very often I will start with a small pasta dish and I'll share it with Gilles or share it with Savannah. Or if somebody doesn't want to share it with me, I'll just ask for a small plate and serve myself that small plate and leave the rest. That will be my appetizer. That will be my pleasure. That will be my kind of way of opening my appetite. And then as my main course, I will have my veal scallop with lemon sauce, which is very Italian, which is served all over here in the south of France because we're so close to Italy and I love it. And I'll ask for a side of, you know, seasonal vegetables. So they'll bring me like string beans and, you know, peas and, you know, fennel, whatever it is, all cooked. Make sure your vegetables are, are partly cooked, like for three, four minutes à l'étouffée, which is the French way. So it's not too cooked not too soft, but soft enough to facilitate your digestion and prevent cortisol level from rising from difficult digestion. Crudités are a fancy word that Americans like to use to make believe they're eating chic and healthy. Crudités is a French word French people use to decorate their table and give it a spring or summery look. Nobody actually eats really from the crudités. You'll see someone grab a carrot and dip it once but then they'll walk away and have their champagne and wait for the main course to arrive. We don't actually have the crudité. That's an ornament for a tablescape. So when you order crudités and you think you're so chic and healthy, you're an idiot. You're not facilitating your digestion at all. Digesting cruciferous vegetables like raw cauliflower, which is beautiful on the table when you put it in the crudité plate, 
is so difficult on the digestive system. You're making your, your, your gut enzyme work overtime. And so they kind of like go into overproduction. And what happens there is that you create insulin resistance, cortisol levels rise. And here you are eating raw vegetables thinking it's so healthy. No, you should have your vegetables at l'étouffée. That's why simply the best cookbook comes into comes in handy because it really shows you and tells you how your vegetables have to stay vibrant so that you can titillate your senses and send the right neuro signals to your brain that the vegetables and, and are looking so vibrant and so green or so um, orange, whatever they, they need to be looking like. That's 60% of your satiation signals right there sent to your leptin hormone. So the same goes with the salad, except the salad goes after your main course. Why? Because people will often say, and I've heard professionals say it, start with a big salad to offset your appetite. Why would I want to offset my appetite? Having an appetite is something healthy. As a matter of fact, when my mom got sick last year, and I shared that with all of you, she's no longer eating and I got so scared. Having someone who doesn't have an appetite is someone who's not healthy and that's what we associated that with. And we fought with her so she would eat. Ultimately, we found out that something was obstructing her intestine, that's why she wasn't feeling hungry and, and nothing makes me happier today than to see her hungry and see her eating when I cook for her when she's visiting. But in France, and in common sense, not just in France, it's fucking common sense. If your child doesn't have an appetite, you should run to the doctor and not go hallelujah. Like what the actual fuck is wrong with you? that you want to offset your appetite before you even have your main course? Why would you amputate yourself out of the real pleasure of giving nourishment to your body? I don't want to offset my appetite with a salad. Fuck you, I ain't no cow, you're a cow. Whoever you are eating salads all day. So no, the salad in France is eaten after the main course. The main course is the life of your party. And that's how it should be. So the minerals, having, having the salad, you know, after the main course can lead to making digestion better. It is less likely to affect the quality of your, of your sleep. As a matter of fact, they say that you absorb the minerals better if that's the last thing you eat before bed. So although it's better to avoid eating right before bed, but the calcium and magnesium in the salad are helpful to calm your body before bed. So those minerals in the salad, like kale and spinach, I love spinach salad, even in roquette, um, are helpful to calm you. And that keeps your cortisol levels low. And that keeps your midsection from becoming like a tub of woba. So it all works. And yes, the fiber in the salad make, helps you feel full. So as opposed to trying to offset your appetite so you can skip on the delicious main course that you've prepared or that your family members prepared or that you are having at the restaurant and amputating yourself of the pleasure of eating the main course which takes the longest and usually is accompanied by beautiful and longer conversation than the appetizer would be 
you want to have it after. So instead of going for seconds, because by the way, going for seconds in France is rude. And if you ask for second, you're offending the host, telling her that she did not serve you enough food. No one really goes for seconds. So going for the salad with the fiber that's in it will help you so much with feeling full. And so it will help you feel full quickly and it will decrease your desire to even snack after dinner or to go for seconds during dinner. Win-win. And it's so chic to have the salad after in a small dessert plate. The salad is something really small. Very often what I'll do is I'll either put the bowl on the table so whoever finishes their main course can go on to that. They don't have to. That's where the etiquette works. Usually you have to wait for the hostess to sit down or the mom who cooked to sit down and then you start eating. But once you're eating and you've had your main course, if the salad's on the table and you don't need to change your plate or you already have your small plate or small bowl next to you, you can go on to moving on to the salad if someone's been slower eating their, resist their plateau resistance, their main course. So, um, you know, that helps you really skip the high fat ingredients that you would eat otherwise, like you're having a meat and veggies and if there's like rice on the side for the kids or potatoes, you might go for those, but if there's a nice salad with a delicious white truffle vinaigrette that's on my Simply the Best cookbook, you're going to be excited about that. And so you'll gravitate towards that and you'll stay away from, you know, the heavier food, the potatoes or the rice on the table for the kids, not for you. Um, you know, so win-win. Vegetables are really the centerpiece of a salad. So you want to make sure that you don't go crazy on the dressing. Very often you guys will see me prepare my dressing and it looks like the dressing that they sometimes serves in American restaurants for one person as far as the serving. I do it in a small bowl and when I pour it, I have people writing to me and going, oh my God, that's so much dressing. And I'm like, this salad is for five people. I have Dylan, Savannah, Dakota and Jill and I. So. You know, it's like usually you guys have this type of dressing, serving for yourself alone and you have to micromanage how much goes in it. But, you know, we the French know exactly how to dose and it's usually not completely doused in, you know, and, and sunk into high fat dressing, not at all. By the way, don't forget, olive oil is not something you should be scared of. It's something you should embrace. Am I blabbering again? One last thing, you want to make sure that you don't ask for your meat carbonized and overly well done. In France, you want to make sure that your meat keeps some of its vibrance, vibrancy and redness. The French really believe that, you know, if you carbonize it into what we call well done, um, which is a point in France. Very, very often, if you ask for well done in France, it will still come a little bit rosy on the inside and you'll be like, no, that's not what I asked for. You want to stick with that. There's reasons for that. It's so not chic to eat your meat cooked on the inside completely. I know for you, it may be a question of preference or the fact that you're in the States and that you feel that you're, the quality of your meat is so bad that you would rather burn it off. But really, all of the, you know, the, the, the delicious taste and the nutrients in your meat are totally 
um, taken away when you overcook and it's not chic at all so you want to make sure that you kind of keep it in a place where you can adjust to the slightly rosy on the inside like the French just to give the nutrients if not there's no point eating meat don't just eat meat to eat meat eat it for the nutrients and so if you're afraid of meat because you live in the United States in the UK it's something I've become so aware of I was aware of it uh, when I was in New York when I lived in New York we, we consumed very little meat uh, and when we did it was kosher meat which I felt was a little bit on the safer side because the hygienic um, regulations for kosher meat are quite high um, but yeah I understand the being neurotic about not eating meat anymore in the US or eating very little of it because you're so concerned that even when they call it organic it's injected with all types of you know modified hormones or whatever it is um, and that brings me to discussing why we are coming out with a protein powder simply protein inulin so we have a powder coming out and it seems like I'm going back on my word I've been trashing protein powders and I will never stop trashing them for so many reasons most of them have whey which Dr. Gondry has spoken about intensively and extensively and said it ages you it is so bad for your gut it eats up your gut very often people that consume protein powder get cramps in their stomach and they're told it's normal and they put up with it because they want to build muscle this is so ridiculous so I've been against protein powder I'm still against protein powders the pea proteins that are in the United States are not really any better to make them bearable and edible They've added so much shit to it that I would stay away from it. It's not regulated by the FDA the way that it should be. Um, so you have to realize that there is a lack of disclosure on all of the ingredients. You get stuff like natural flavors. We don't fucking know what that means. There's nothing really natural about that. Um, and the bottom line is that I felt that people are using protein powder as meal replacements um, and they're also consuming other sources of protein in their everyday meals which brings them to have excess protein and I spoke about that in some other of my episodes excess protein will cause weight gain people think excess carbs excess calories excess sugar excess fat and they never talk about excess protein but excess protein is actually so destructive to your gut and it will cause high cortisol levels and it will cause insulin resistance and it will cause weight gain as well as so many gut issues you may even get your period to stop from having protein powder so why did we come up with our protein powder because there's a need for it because people need it and want it in places like the UK and the US where the meats the poultry the eggs are not as trusted anymore and some people have built up such an aversion to these animal proteins without being vegetarian they don't want to have them anymore because they're so afraid of their nature and what's in them and so people are going more more and more towards vegan types of food and they're buying patties of veggie burgers that have lecithin in them and soy and additives and gums so I figured if people are going to need something, then I might as well source it 
and source the best one with the cleanest, I don't like to say the word clean for food because food is not dirty, but with the clearest, transparent ingredients possible. And so this is what we have come up with. Ours is an innovative um, plant-based protein from Norway. It is made out of a very special broad bean. It tastes nutty even though it has no nuts and it's way more delicious and way higher in nutrition benefits, nutritional facts and benefits than pea protein. Um, and what we've done, we've asked a manufacturer to mix it with our Simply Inulin and do 50% Simply Inulin, 50% incredible protein powder, which tastes so good. I've been um, working with it now, like experimenting with it. I made pancakes, I made cookies, so delicious. Net carbs, I think we said four grams net carbs, um, but the very high fiber uh, content that comes from the broad bean itself has fiber and the added simply inulin which is super high in fiber it's about 82 grams of fiber per 100 grams um, makes it so low carb so healthy there are no additives nothing whatsoever it's one milling process and it's an innovation from Norway Norway is now abiding by rules that are called transparency rules which i absolutely love where they tell you every single ingredient and every single test that they have um, gone through on the powder so we have like the whole sheet and it's like tested for e coli and lead and i mean stuff i didn't even know about before um, and this is why i don't manufacture this is why i rely on pairing up with the best manufacturers somewhere in Europe after looking for so many and relying on their expertise and their years of personal investment, financial investment and financial backup that they've had, the research, the doctors they work with, you know, the scientists they work with. Like, why would I even go out on a whim and start my own manufacturing when I can work with such reliable, credible, trusted um, manufacturers in these countries where the regulations are so so difficult and so strict I love that I love that and I figured that people want protein powder they need it I understand that they want to make veggie burgers at home they don't want to buy the shit that's possibly poisoning them so you know why not bring it on the market but I will not have it uh, recommend it for people that already consume protein like I do. I, I consume quite a bit of protein every day. I love eggs. I feel safe eating them, of course, because I'm in France. I eat meat, I eat fish, but there are days that, you know, I wish I could go vegan at home and then I don't find the right source of protein. So I end up putting meat, meat on the menu or fish when I didn't want to. And Gilles lately is suffering from gout. It's gone worse. Um, and what it what it is is it's the citric acid in the body and when you go to the doctor for that and it's mainly men that suffer from it it happens in the toe or in the foot the doctor gives you like all this suggestion of when you suffer from gout you cannot eat so it's pretty much cutting out red meats poultry some fishes some seafood and it's like we're left with almost nothing as far as protein and I can't make him eat eggs every day so Technically, when he started really suffering with gout, I kept on saying, 
oh my god i hate protein powders i don't trust them you know we're not bodybuilders i don't want to bulk i don't believe in building muscle that way i believe in having your protein from real food and now that you know i need to get creative and maybe make vegetarian kefta balls instead of the meatballs when he has gout or to prevent him from having gout lately he's been having it once a month and it's like he can't walk when he has that um and it all has to do with you know alimentary restrictions uh that's where i was like you know what if anything let me bring it on the market for my husband but be very clear about that there will be no pushing on meal replacements using it as a breakfast smoothie none of that I hate that shit. I'm not going back on my word. The protein powder will be for people that have a hard time consuming protein on a certain day or on a daily basis because of their dietary restrictions or their aversion to meats because of where they live. So it's coming on the market. It will be out probably in the next eight to 10 days. I'm so excited. It tastes so good. It is uh, sourced in such a transparent way that you will feel so safe about what's going in your body. Um, and of course, I got sidetracked talking so passionately about that. I'm not going to push products on you. I feel like that's not what this podcast is about, but just letting you know that my amber rocks from Morocco, Parfum d'Ambiance, which are the rocks that you see on my bedside, um, smells like amber all over the house. So you cut them and crack them. Um, they are in the shop and a link is going to be in the show notes. Um, I never thought that I would source those amber rocks uh, in my shop and have what we call a savoir vivre lifestyle section, art, like art de vivre, which is the art of living. Um, but I listened to you guys when I went to Morocco and documented my trips and brought back the amber rocks. Everyone was like, bring them back for us. People were looking for them on the internet. Of course, you can't find them. Um, the amber is cultured um, in the Atlas Mountains of Morocco by Berber farmers and then they're molded by Berber ladies in the same factory as our fucking beautiful rose oil which I also brought back from Morocco after all of you asked. So it's pretty much I've been listening and you know you all have been asking and I've been listening and I said to myself shit i'm not gonna open a beauty shop i'm not gonna open a lifestyle or you know home ambiance shop but at the end of the day wellness and hedonism and health is all about the pleasures of life and art of living so why not if i have it in my hands to bring those things back then i'm going to and the response been incredible and i'm so excited i'm so excited for you all to have these amber rocks in your house and smell the smells of my childhood in my parents home it's so chic it's so refined and at the same time it has really the warmth of a moroccan home um and the rose oil is fantastic and we're sending out the first shipments to those of you that jumped and bought it the minute that i brought it back from marrakesh i'm so so excited about it um i use it to wash my face to clean my face with sorry not wash my face like i put on the cot on the cotton and just clean my face with it it's an essential oil it has no additives um you can go on the page it's all explained i'm gonna link it in the show notes as well we have a new virtual platform session coming out in the next few days 
um, that I hope you will love. In the meantime, there are currently seven videos for you to work out virtually with me live from Monaco. One of them is the retreat experience. So it's at the Grand Hotel du Cap Ferrat where we held our retreat. Our retreat for next year, next March, same time for this year is almost already fully booked. We had opened 15 spots and we only have two left. So if you wish to join us, you have to go book it now. Um, all of our ladies uh, from this uh, session actually are joining again. And the ones that could not make it because we had organized it so late with the change of venue, um, finally got the opportunity to join this one and I'm so excited. Most of them I already know through Instagram. Most of them have been using Newlin. Most of them I've been having relationships on Instagram with. So it's so amazing to know I'm going to meet all of you incredible women. Um, wow. It's been so much to reflect on since this retreat. It's been magical. This tribe really coming to life. Um, it kind of officializes the tribal love that and energy and support and powerful vibe that I feel from all of you over Instagram like the retreat just brought that to life and confirmed everything that we already feel and know um, that being said you know you can get Simply In Your Lane in the shop as well we also have a limited edition The Skinny Confidential which is not a collab with The Skinny Confidential it is an homage to Lauren uh, for inspiring me to put Simply In Your Lane on the market when I discovered the powers of In Your Lane and a little shout out to Jewel the Bee, my good friend Julianne, who wrote such a badass um, little article about my Moroccan lemon chicken recipe. And she's prepared it and she did a whole very funny story with her dog Norman wearing a peacock suit. Uh, I'm now not talking to Lola until she gets hers. I ordered it on Amazon. I want her to walk around looking like a peacock uh, because Norman did it. Uh, anyways, I am going to link Julianne, Jewel the Bee's um, article in the show notes. You should check it out. And if you're listening to the podcast today, which is um, Friday, May 17th, then you can still catch the story and how she prepared it on her story in Instagram. If not, I think we will ask her to highlight it. So those of you that are listening to this podcast later on can still catch a glimpse of her hilarious story and see her dog Norman wearing a peacock suit um, to kind of poke fun of me being obsessed with peacocks and bother Gilles with wanting a peacock. Uh, I am done blabbering. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please comment on my last picture on Instagram and let me know what. So yeah, let me know what you think. Go comment on my latest post on Instagram, um, good or bad. I love getting your constructive feedback and give you exactly what you want. On this note, I wish you a beautiful day. Bisous bisous from Monaco.